Amen, amen. You can go and have a seat. Welcome to Harvest, and uh, my name is Dan Hammer. I have the privilege of being the senior pastor here, and if, if I've never met you, I'd love to meet you after the service, and if this is your first time here, your family here, and if you've been here a long time, your family here too. Praise God for that. We are excited how God is at work in a big way, and I'm um, just thankful for all that he is doing. We're going to continue our series called Step, uh, Stepping Out in Faith. Um, if you want to turn with he- into Hebrews, we're going to be there today, um, Step Out. Um, but first and foremost, I just want to say Happy Mother's Day, and we are thankful to God for all mothers and mothers of all different types. And um, but we also recognize the reality that Mother's Day um, can be a very difficult day for many, uh, filled with a lot of hurt and pain for a lot of different reasons: grief and loss, and um, sorrow or unmet desires and expectations, and um, maybe even some guilt or shame from the past. And I just want to say, wherever, you, however you walked in here, you're loved here, and the the gospel is sufficient for you, and God's grace is good, and man, we want to come alongside you, and we are thankful for every single woman here or watching online, and we have a gift for each and every woman here because we want to honor you, and you have a big part of all that God is doing here, so be sure on the way out to grab a gift, um, and we're just super thankful for the work of God in your life, but we, also, we know that um, in, in days that are hard and days that are good, God is always faithful, and that's what we're seeing all throughout this series, and so we want to be so thankful to God. For, for who he is in, in, our, in all seasons and situations of our lives. And, and praise God for that, that we don't have to walk alone through the ups and downs of life. And so speaking of that, it was, it was in mid-1990s. Um, big boom boxes were rocking. Anybody walk around with one of those things on your shoulders? Like grunge rockers were rocking if you were in Seattle. Um, Friends was thriving on TV. And I, teenage me, was in my room crying bawling, ugly, because I was living in Richmond. I was born and raised in Richmond, Virginia, and my parents had just told me that we were moving. We were moving here to Maryland, and frankly, I did not want to go. And, and I, my life was there, my house were there, my friends were there, my basketball team was there, everything about my identity was there. And I couldn't see it, I didn't want to do it, I threw a fit about it, but I had no choice in it. And so to Maryland we came. Um, and by God's grace and his providence, God has led uh, me, us, for 25 years since that moment, 30 years since that moment, to even today. Like, I don't know that this, this church would necessarily be here if it wasn't for that move, but by the, God, by, by the grace of God, we go. And so we're going to see today God calling someone out of his homeland. We're going to see him today God calling someone to leave behind everything that he had ever known and dreamed of to pursue, to go into the unknown, to go into the uncertainty, to step out in faith, to follow God's leading. When God says, by the way, I want you to go, and, and Abraham goes, where? And God goes, I'm not telling you where. Just go. How's that sound, right? But we're going to see the choice of faithfulness that you and I each have today. And, and whatever the choices are in front of us, I, I can guarantee you that each and every one of us has some level of uncertainty inside of us. Whether it's uncertainty about the details that are around us, or maybe it's just an uncertainty inside, a lack of peace, lack of clarity, wrestling, unsettledness, discontentment with where we are currently. So how do we step forward? How do we step out in faith in the middle of all of that where God's word is going to show us just that today? Praise God for his word. Today, it's going to show us God's word very, very clearly that the key to living faithfully in a world full of uncertainty is to focus our gaze forward confidently, to focus our eyes on the character of God, to fixate our hearts on the 
on the promises of God and to focus our lives forward on the calling of God. We're gonna see that God emboldens us and emboldens us to pursue the purposes of God as we determine in our hearts to live with obedience out of a heart of reverence to God. God is calling each and every one of us today to step out from what is comfortable to a life of what is convictional. He's calling us to leave behind our presumptions and our purposes, our earthly purposes, and pick up his eternal plan and his priorities. Well, because while our purposes might be good, his priorities are what is best, amen? In the process of submitting in our hearts and submitting our lives to God, we will find that we will experience the greatness and the glory of God in ways that amaze us and that we will see that God's plan is always the best thing for us and that God will work in us and through us to alter the eternity of lives that are around us. What an awesome opportunity, amen? But we need to focus our minds, our hearts, and our lives on where God wants us to focus. Here's a big idea for today. You'll see it on the screen. You'll see it in your notes. That this, that earthly faithfulness requires an eternal focus. Earthly faithfulness requires an eternal focus. So I don't know what circumstances, situations, or seasons that you find yourself in today. But I know that in every season, in every circumstance, in every situation, we must live with an eternal focus because that fuels us and allows us to live with an earthly faithfulness. So the question today that the author of the text and that Abraham's life gives us is where is the focus of your heart? Where is the focus of your mind? Where is the focus of your life? And then our faith flows from that, our everyday faith. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just love you and we're so thankful for you that in the middle of uncertainty and we realize the reality that there is uncertainty all around us and frankly inside of us and every single one of us to different degrees this morning. God, we're not sure what tomorrow holds. We're not sure who's going to win the election. We're not sure who, where we're going to live or where we're going to work. We're not sure where we're going to go to college or who we're going to marry or all the things, God. But this we know, you are good and you are faithful. And God, help us to anchor today in the reality of the certainty of the eternity that you promise us as we commit our lives to live with faithfulness in the word to the word that you have given us. Father, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would silence our hearts and open our minds, that we would offer our lives as a blank check for you, and that you would do the work in us and through us that you desire to impact those around us and even in us today. Holy Spirit, convict and compel through the power of the, your word Encourage us and exhort us, silence me, and may your words flow loudly and clearly and abundantly, Jesus Christ. We love you. It's in the mighty name of Jesus Christ we pray, amen. Turn with me, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 11. And if you don't have a copy of God's word, we got copies in the back. We would, nothing would give us a greater pleasure than to give you a copy of God's word to anchor that in. We're gonna look at verses eight through 10 today. We're journeying through Hebrews 11, verse by verse here, as we look to see how God would call us today to with lives of faithfulness. So here's God's word. By faith, verse 8, chapter 11 of Hebrews, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in a land of promise, as as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and whose builder is God. Praise God for his word, amen. 
So as you continue to journey, you have each week, verse by verse, character study by character study through the book of Hebrews. We're getting a little bit more insight into this multi-dynamic aspect of what God is calling us to live in this thing called faith. It's not a one-note thing. It's a multifaceted thing that each and every day might have a different looking fruit in our lives. We're, we're being called to live in the life of Christ. And if you go back to when we introduced this book, the whole heartbeat of the book of Hebrews, the focus is Jesus Christ, the exaltation of Jesus and the endurance of Jesus so that we can live with faith, exalting Jesus in everything through worship and reverence and endurance for Jesus in everyday life so that we don't give up, that we step forward in faith, that we lay down what God wants us to lay down and we pick up what he wants us to pick up to have the impact in us and through us that he has for us. Praise God for that. So all throughout this passage, and, and we're going to see that, that Abraham steps out in faith, but the specific area of focus that the author of Hebrews highlights is that he was forward-looking. Look at verse 10, for he was looking forward. That is what fuels his everyday faith, is the eternal focus. He was looking forward, and we see that in every single verse. In verse 8, it says, when he was called out to go to a place that he would, re would receive as an inheritance, that's looking forward to the God's promises. In verse 9, it says that he went to live in a land of promises, and the same promise that his son and grandson Isaac and Jacob had, the same promise. It's forward-looking. In verse 10, it says he's looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Praise God. Amen. That God builds an eternal city in the same way that Jesus is building his earthly church. Like build your church is the cry of our hearts for the ministry year. It's a forward focus. It's asking God to do the work that only he can. God builds his church. He designs his church and he has built for us a permanent residency in eternity. But one of the most important things we need to pick up on is that our life here on earth is temporary. So we need to focus forward with an eternal focus and that, and that gives us a foundations that as the text said in verse 10, that the city of God, the eternal city of God has foundations. So what does it look like to live with, a with an eternal focus? What are foundations of a forward-looking faith? We're gonna see three of them from the text today. The first foundation of a forward-looking faith is this. God's call is my command. God's call is my command. Look at verse eight. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was what? Called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not even knowing where he was going. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called. Now, as we've talked about often throughout the series, faith is only as strong as the source of its object. So what is the object of Abraham's faith? Is it in a place is it in a position? No, it's in a person. It's in the person of God. Where is your faith today? Is it in Jesus or is it something else? Is it in Jesus or is it in being a pastor or a ministry leader? Is it in Jesus or being in a certain geographical location? Is it in Jesus or a certain task that God has caused you to apply? Sorry, God, I can't listen to you because I need to, I need to do my job here. Well, our primary allegiance needs to be to God. Everything else comes secondary. By faith, Abraham's primary allegiance was to God. Before we're called to something, we're called to someone. We're called to God. What does that look like in our life? The word call means to invite or to summon. It's a command. I was summoned, lovingly so, by our county to jury duty two months ago. I did not have an option whether I showed up. If I refused to show up, guess where I would be? Well, bad things would happen. 
We have been summoned by the King of Kings and Lord of Lords to obey his command and to live on his mission. Are you treating it as optional? Are you treating it as something and I need to obey because I am ascribing worth to the one who is calling? To be called means that there is a caller, right? Are you listening and obeying to God? Because all of this flows out of an exaltation of Jesus, an elevation, a worship of Jesus, and a heart of reverence leads to a life of obedience. That's Abraham. He obeyed when he was called because he worshiped the one who was calling. Are you willing to do that? He didn't worship his country. He left his country. He worshiped the creator. Who are you worshiping today? He didn't worship his homeland. He didn't worship his family. He worshiped God. Who are you worshiping? Who are you worshiping? God's call has general and specific implications. There are generalities to which we are called. They're sometimes specific. God says to Abram, go. He didn't say to his whole family. In fact, he just said to Abram, go, right? Everybody else stay, you go. So sometimes we're called to go. Sometimes we're called to stay. How do we know? Well, that's where the specificity comes in. And we'll look at that in a second. Context is vitally important to interpreting and applying the text accurately. So let's dig into Abraham's specific call. So if you want, you can flip back to Genesis 12, or you can just follow along as it's on the screen. We're going to be primarily in Hebrews 11 today, but we're going to dig in a little bit to Genesis 12 because biblical context is important to understanding this text so we can properly apply it, which is our heart and our commitment and our conviction here at Harvest. So this is Genesis 12, 1 through 5. This is God's specific call of Abram. He wasn't Abraham yet. He was Abram. There are significance in names. God calls Abram in Genesis 12, 1 through 5. He says, now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house. That's a strong call, right? To the land I will show you, that's the future. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Not so that you can get all puffed up, but we are blessed to be a blessing. Don't miss that. I will bless those who bless you and to him who dishonors you, I will curse And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And so Abram went as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him, Lot's his nephew. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran, which is where he was at that time. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered and all the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. A couple things to know about Abram. He was a descendant of, of Noah's son, Shem. And so we looked at Noah last week, and in between Noah and Abram, think something called the Tower of Babel happens, and, and God spreads people all over the earth, and because he confuses their language, because they were trying to be like God. And then it gives the lineage of Shem, and out of that comes Abram. He was 75 years old, the text just told us that. He was very, very wealthy on earth. He was successful. Genesis 13 says that he was very wealthy. He was married to Sarai, who in Genesis 11.30, right before Genesis 12, the call gets, we know this much about Sarai, that she was barren and childless, which was devastating at any time today, and especially then. It's a tragic and important part of their faith story. Uncle uh, Abram's uncle, Lot's father, or Abraham's brother, Lot's father, had died. So he was grieving the loss of of an uncle. His father, Terah, Abram's father, Terah, we know from Joshua 24, 2, worshiped foreign idols. 
So at a bare minimum, Abram grew up in a polytheistic home, which means you worship not just God, but you worship other things that are not the one true God. Like some of us today might worship sports or politics or money or a job, family. Perhaps you can find yourself in some part or maybe many parts of Abram's story. Maybe you're middle-aged or slightly more experienced in life. Abraham was, he was 75, and God, that's when God's specific call came. Maybe you're grieving the loss of a loved one today. Abram had lost his uncle. Or his, uh, Abram had lost Lot's father, his brother. Maybe you're grieving the loss of an identity or current unmet deep desire. Abraham at that moment could not become a father. Sarah could not become a mother. They could not have children, which was a huge deal. Then. That's a lot of grief. And maybe you're carrying some of that today. Maybe you've grown up in a home that did not follow God or marginalized God or just culturally kind of follow God. Abraham did. Maybe you've been successful here on earth and you're financially comfortable. You have a well-known location. You're well-known in your workplace or in your geographical location. You got a lot of street cred. You've accomplished your goals. You got your career path, your 10-year plan. You're on it. Abraham had that. And then God's call changed everything. And into our mess, he called. Maybe that's you. What was the call? Two words. Go. Go where? You're on a need-to-know basis, and you don't need to know yet. How would you receive that? That would be hard for me. God, I'll go if you give me details. My worship is contingent on you doing something for me. Is that you today? Or I'll stay for whatever it is. God said, Go. Leave your country, leave your family, leave your security, right? That's the first part of 12. Go from your country, your kindred, your family's house. In that day and age, when you left your homeland, people could literally murder you. He was leaving a very secure place, going on a journey. What's the promise? You're going to live in tents. Sounds great. Some of you are like, that's all about it, right? It's cool for a little bit. Maybe not a lifetime. It's hard. Some of us are like, I'm out. I feel like when we look at this text, it's a real call of who are we worshiping and what are we doing? I think we should get t-shirts for the next ministry year that said on the front, like, I don't know where I'm going. But on the back, it says, but I know in whom I'm trusting and obeying. That's the life of Abraham. It says it right there, Hebrews, I don't know where I'm going. And maybe that's you today. The same God that saved you, the same God that calls you, is the same God that walks with you. God wants to work in you and through you. He cares way more about who you are in him than what you're doing for him. His primary goal is your sanctification. He's working in all of us today. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to lean in? It's a general calling and specific calling. What does that mean? I believe God's calling is our command. It's an obedience issue. I also believe that the word calling is thrown around in spiritual circles in significant ways. It's misused, it's misrepresented, and it's abused, and I know because I've done it. I cover selfish desires with spiritual language because who, who can actually counter and go, well, I'm called to go here. Well, I can't say anything to that because the Holy Spirit's speaking to you and not me. I've said that. Maybe I realized it in the moment, maybe I didn't. So how do we know what calling 
really is. It's one of the most common used words in the New Testament to describe our lives as disciples. A calling can have several different references. It can refer to the salvation process with, by which God draws us to himself. Again, before we're called to something, we're called to who? Someone, Jesus. It can refer to our sanctification process where we are called to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Paul writes that in Ephesians. It can refer to us living a life of service for the Lord. Calling to a pastor, a calling to a place, a calling to a, a neighborhood, a calling to a job. Now, here are some general aspects of calling. So you're like, am I called? Well, if you, here are some ways that we are all called. Husbands, if you're wondering today, if you're called to love your wife as Christ loves the church, guess what? You are, right? Parents, if you're wondering if, you, if you should, we should raise our children up in the ways of the Lord, yes, you're called to that. Kids, if you're wondering if you should honor your parents, yes, you're called to that. If we should be generous, yes. If we should be wise stewards, yes. If we should love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, guess what the answer is to that? Yes. If we should love our neighbors as ourselves, guess what? Yes. Should I tell my coworker about Jesus? Yes. Now the when might come up because that's in the text too. No, Abraham obeyed when he was called, not before, not after, when. God's timing is not always the same time as his calling. But today, then if you're wondering, should I go on the mission trip to Mexico? Well, okay. Should I move as a missionary overseas? Should I get married to this person or that person? Should I take a job here or there? Should I stay in the military or get out of the military? Should I join the church plant core group or not? Well, those are biblical wisdom issues because yes, they all accomplish the general calling, but specifically, is God calling me to this at this time right here, right now? How do I know? Well, yes, diagnostic questions. First, starting in your heart and you bring other people into the process, biblical community. Because I hate to break it to you, but God doesn't always bring a burning bush right to you and appear audibly and like, go there. That would be easier, right? But even when he did that, Moses was like, nope. <laughs> go to Nineveh. Jonah's like, I'm out. Where's the boat? And you gave me enough money to get on the boat, so I'm going to try and get on the boat. God's like, no way, Jose. <laughs> You're going to Nineveh the easy way or the hard way? Your choice. So what are some of these diagnostic questions? It starts with a heart posture of humility that has a heart that's open, a mind that is open, hands that are open. Because again, we're worshiping God. We're looking forward to our eternity. Ask yourself today, is my heart genuinely humble and reverent before God? Is it open? Am I seeking and, and, and am I in alignment with the word of God? If what God is calling you to do is not in alignment with the word of God, it's not from God. Go to the word. The will of God is the word of God, as many people have said. Go to the word. So you start to check these things off. Okay. Am I being self-led or am I spirit-led? Have I genuinely prayed about this? Am I submitted and surrendered my life before God? Man, that's why prayer is so important. Amen. If you don't have peace, don't move. Come on Tuesday night. We're going to have a prayer and praise night. I would encourage you to come 630 Tuesday night. We're going to seek the face of the Lord together. Ask the Holy Spirit if it's God's timing. Sometimes it's like, I, you're qualified to be an elder, but it's not God's timing for you to be an elder, right? You need to focus on your family in this season. You need to do this or do that, or small group leader, right? You can do it. You're qualified for it, but the timing isn't right. It's God's timing. Other times it's like, you know, God's calling you to it and you don't want to do it. So you make up a lot of, I got to wash my hair, God. And God's like, come on. Is this the best stewardship and investment of my resources? Right? Even in the calling of Abraham, God said what to Abraham? You will, you, are, you will be blessed to do what? To be a blessing. 
So with your time, with your experience, with your expertise, with your money, with your fill in the house, car, job, where can I have the greatest kingdom impact right here, right now, until you move me again, God? We need to ask that question. Because you can do a lot of things, but are you doing God's thing? Am I in unity with the people of God? That doesn't mean uniformity, but first and foremost, are you in unity with your spouse? Are you seeking biblical counsel? And look, I've sought biblical counsel about a lot of big decisions in my life. And oftentimes it's, it's a split decision. People that love the Lord, love God's word, love me, love God's church, go what, five go yes, five go no, go right, go left. And I'm like, okay, I guess I have to decide for myself, right? But, but in wisdom, in each of those conversations is nuggets of wisdom that helped me lead. And I have, in some instrumental decisions in my life, some very loving people have told me things I don't wanted to hear, but I needed to hear. That frankly have led to the process of being here. That challenged me to do the harder thing that my flesh didn't want to do because God was calling me to do it. And I was trying to ignore it or run from it. Am I pursuing God's purposes? in me and through me. God's purpose first and foremost is his sanctification. And then through me, am I embracing God's process? Slow, God works in a crock pot, not in a microwave, amen? Mature, church planning. Joseph's like, I got a dream as a teenager. And 13 years later, after being thrown in a pit, after experiencing prison, none of which was on Joseph's 10-year plan, ending up in a different country, after being neglected by his family, sold out literally, falsely accused, in prison. God used him astronomically. But Joseph couldn't see all of that in a moment. Maybe you can't either. He ended up in a place he never initially wanted to be in. But God said, I will use you to save the world if you follow me. Maybe that's you. Is your heart here to glorify God? Because a heart to glorify God lives on mission for God. In Genesis chapter 12, it is the first missionary mandate of God's church. It is really the initiation of the Great Commission to go into all nations and to make a family of God. Praise God for that. God most often calls us to something. He calls us to something. So the question is, are you, we running from something or are we following God to what he has called to us? Or how many of us have God's phone? We got a phone, God's calling, and we're like, yeah, I like what I'm doing. Do not disturb, like cancel, send a voicemail. By the way, I never check my voicemails, right? God, I'll get back to you sometime. Maybe. Eternal faithfulness, retire, uh, earthly faithfulness requires an eternal focus. Where is your heart focused right now? Where are your resources focused? Where's your head focused? Where's your mind focused? In it all and through it all, God is refining you to make you more like his son. The second foundation of eternal focused faith is this. God's promises are my confidence. His promises are my confidence. We see this right here in verse 9 of, of Hebrews 11. That, that Abram left a place he didn't know, that, to go to a place that he didn't know where he was going. And by faith, he went to live in a land of promise. As in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. God's promises gave Abram the confidence to step out in obedience. And that same God who gives us the same promises fuels our same obedience. 
The question is, are you listening? The question, are you focused on those eternal promises that God is with you and he'll never leave you, that he will always provide for you. He'll give you always what you need, not always what you want, right? He'll always give you enough. He might not give you extra, but he'll always give you enough because he wants your heart. He wants you dependent on him, living for him. So Abraham left home and he went on a mission trip, a lifelong mission trip to Canaan. He didn't know it was Canaan initially. You, you can see the map behind me. You'll see his journey. And this spans several chapters in the, in the, in the book of, of Genesis. And so you can read it on your own. But you'll see him journey from where he was close to Babylon up to Haran and then down to Canaan. He goes to later in chapter 12 to Egypt, which by the way, Abraham is not a perfect person because if you keep reading in chapter 12, what does he do when he gets to Egypt? He lies. She's not my wife. She's my sister. That's gross and wrong. Plays God for his redemption. And then he comes back up to Canaan eventually. But he is pursuing. He's not perfect, but he is pursuing. He was willing to leave the comfort to live on God's great commission. Now, where was he living? He was living in a tent. That sounds glamorous. He was willing to live the life of a sojourner. He was willing to live as, as, as a foreigner, just like you and I are called to do here on earth, right? To live as sojourners, foreigners, because this world is not our home. Our identity can't be in a place, but the person of Jesus Christ. By faith, Abraham now lived the rest of his earthly life as a foreigner, not a resident. He lived holding on to God's promise of what was coming, to build a family and a nation, not with geographical borders, but of life-changing eternal impact. He held on to God's promises. He never got to see the ultimate fulfillment of his vast descendants living as residents in the promised land. That will come much later. God is calling us often to build for something that will come after us. But how much of it, if I can't see it, touch it, feel it, God, it's not for me. We need to humble ourselves, amen, and build God's kingdom, which will have impacts on generations, right, Isaac? We're in the text, Jacob in the text, and you and I today. The importance of Abraham's faith can't be overstated. Remember, as we look at the context of the, of the book of Hebrews, that it was written to a Jewish audience. Abraham is known as the patriarch of patriarchs, the father of the nation. The scripture is teaching the people then and the people now that we can trust the promises of God. Abraham obeyed, Romans 4.3 says, Paul writes that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Praise God, amen. Abraham is looking forward to the ultimate promise that will be fulfilled by God, sending Jesus as, as the replacement for our, the covering for our sins. Now we, as God's people, can look back on the promises of God and see the finished work of Jesus on the cross. And that is our righteousness is is we can stand fully before God redeemed through the work of Jesus Christ. If we put our faith in him, the author of Hebrews is upholding the reality that Abram's faith in the promises of God, looking forward to the ultimate promise being fulfilled of Jesus gave him salvation from God today. Friends, where is your hope? Who are you trusting? Are you trusting in the promises of God? Salvation comes by grace through faith, not our own work so that no one can boast. God is calling us to live a faith and a grace into a grace-based relationship out of, not out of what, anything that we have done, but everything that he has done. The name Abram means exalted father. 
the name Abraham, which God will change his name later, means father of nations. But Abraham had a problem right now, right? God called him to go. He gave him this commission and said, you, through you, a whole nation will be built. But what's the problem? Yes, he's leaving his home. That's hard. Yes, he's going to a place that he doesn't have directions. That's harder. But what might be the hardest thing? They couldn't have kids at the moment. How can I be a father to a whole people if I can't even father one person? I can't see it. I can't, God, what? You want to work through, you have no idea, God. It's impossible for me to do this. And God's like, but God. He didn't tell him when, he didn't tell him how long. He just said, trust me. How many of us right now need to trust God in a similar set of circumstances? So how do we do this? How do we focus on the promises of God? Here are three ways to do this. How do we trust God in our present as we look to the future? I love what Corey Ten Boom said. She said, never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. Here's the first way that we can focus on God's promises, that we focus on the who, not the how. It's the same letters, but rearrange them, right? How, God, how am I going to get from point A to point B? What are the directions? God's like, I'll let you know along the way. How am I going to father a child? I'll let you know eventually when you need to know. How am I going to be protect, protected? I'll, I'll take care of that, right? How am I going to be happy outside of my homeland? How am I, how, uh, how many of us are like in the how questions as opposed to focusing on the who. Who's the who? God. Same God that created you, sustained you, it will provide for you. Where is your heart focused right now? Like if you go back to that Genesis 12 passage, you know how many I will statements are in there? Five or five. I will make you a great nation. I will show you. I will bless you. I will protect you. Amen. And those same promises that God gave Abraham apply to us today. I will love you. I will never leave you. I will provide for you. Amen. I will. I will. How many of us here? God, you won't. And God's like, I will. But we need to surrender our will because we're focused on the I won'ts. And God's like, I know you want that, but I, you have to trust my heart that saying no to you in this is preparing for you a better yes over here. Or that God is going, that I'm going to use this because I am in tragedy for my glory. Because God is in the business of making his beauty out of our ashes. And if our primary goal is the exaltation of Jesus, sometimes, many times, he takes our grief to be a demonstration of his grace to us and through us to all of those that are around us. God, reach my neighbor, but don't do it through my tragedy. God, reach my neighbor, but don't do it through my job loss. God, reach my neighbor. You know, see where God reached my neighbor, but I want to go or I want us to, whatever it is, right? God's like, I will. Just go read John 11. Read the story of Lazarus. God, and Jesus enters into our grief. He enters into our mess. He sits with us as he grieves with us. And then he works in ways and he raises the dead. He works and provides. He, so that others around us can see him glorify himself and that we can experience him in a deeper way than we ever would without the hardship. There are some things that you can only learn about the character of God in the hurt and the heart and the storm. Amen.
So God, because he loves us, allows us and or ordains it for us to go through it so we can see him in it. But our heart has to be focused on God as our number one to truly embrace it because it will expose our idols in our hearts. And I have learned this the hard way. Where are you focused? On the how or the who? I love how Paul teaches us to focus our mind, how to refocus, how to the process of focusing on the how. So I found it helpful. In Romans 12, he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. That's stepping out, right, in faith. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So you might, how do I focus on the promises? How do I discern God's call? How do I know his will? Well, Paul says this. He says, focus your heart on God in view of God's mercies, right? Worship. And then he says, focus your mind, renew your mind, renew your mind on God's promises. And then he says, focus your direction. And after you focus your heart, after you focus your mind, then you will be able to discern what the testing and what the will of God is, right? But some of us get so to the discerning and the direction that we forget to focus on the deliverer and the actual caller. We can't get it out of order. Refocus our hearts on the worship of God, renew our minds on the word and the will and the promises of God, and then reset our direction on the ways of God. That's how we focus on the promises of God. More on the who than the how. The second way to focus on God's promises is to focus more on what I'm gaining than what I'm losing what you're gaining than what you're losing. Abram was losing his family. He was leaving his family. He was losing his homeland, his kindred. He was losing his identity where he was a wealthy, successful person to, well, a foreigner. He was losing his comfort. How many of us are focused on what we might be losing or have lost that we are not fixated on what we have gained, the opportunity of to be grown by God, to have impact for God, to become a great nation, God told Abram, to bless others. Because we're like, I have lost this. And God's like, but you, you're forgetting what you've gained. And most importantly, you're forgetting that you're gained me, a deeper intimate relationship, a growing maturation of who I am. Where's your focus? It doesn't make it easier. One of the things that I learned in growing up and what reflecting on that time in the, in the early 90s as a teenager was I was so focused. I was heartbroken because I was going to miss a relationship, but I was focused on what I was losing and I couldn't see what I was gaining. But all I was focused on was the past. Forward-looking faith is like you're driving a car on a journey, right? Anybody, you're driving your car right now and you're looking forward. Try to drive from here to DC staring at the rearview mirror. How's that going to go for you? The rearview mirror is a lot smaller than the front windshield. But how many of us are living our lives in such a way that we're trying to go to a certain place, but we're stuck looking at the rearview mirror? We're, we're, we're anchored in the pain of our past or the thrills, the highlights, the glory years, trying to relive it. And God's like, look ahead, look through the windshield. Friends, we're called to look to the past, learn from the past, but don't live in the past. Look forward to where God is taking us and driving us, to what he has ahead of us, 
Focus more on what I'm gaining than what I'm losing. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, one of my spiritual heroes, says this in one of his, my favorite books. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and what? Die. Abram had to die to his homeland. He had to die to spending the rest of his earthly life with his natural family. He had to die to his, everything else that he was leaving. And Christ calls us to do the same. Read the gospels, pick up our cross and follow Jesus. Die. I want to go home and say goodbye to my friends. Nope. The one who looks back. Uh uh-uh. I want to be comfortable. Nope. The son of God has no place to lay his head. God's not calling you to a life of comfort. He's calling you a life of mission and conviction. And impact. That's faith. What do you need to die to today? J.D. Greer wrote a great book that has challenged me as a church leader. It's called Gaining by Losing. Where's your focus on what you're losing or what you're gaining? What wouldn't you give to see many people come to know the Lord? Third and finally, focus on living missionally, not comfortably. Abram was living on mission. He was leaving the comforts of home, the safeties of security, but he was pursuing God. The it's not unintentional how the author describes verses 9 and 10, directly contrasting the reality that Abraham on earth lived in tents while looking forward in verse 10 to the city that God built for him that is, has a strong foundation. I love you and I hope you hear this with love because I have wrestled with this. I think many of us, myself very much included, struggle with placing our identity in what is meant to only be temporary. Don't place your identity in what God intended to only be temporary, which is our entire life on earth. We're called to live on mission, on God's eternal mission, not to build earthly mansions, although God can use earthly mansions to accomplish his eternal mission. It's not about the mansion, it's about the mission. Abraham was willing to live in tents because he looked forward to the city that has the foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Where are you looking right now? Where are you looking? Comfort or Christ? Christ didn't know comfort. He knew a cross. He calls us to that same journey. Where can God use you on mission? Where is he calling you on mission? Earthly faithfulness requires God's eternal focus third and final foundation is this. God's city is my hope. Verse 10, God's city is my hope. Where is Abram's hope? He was forward looking to the city that has foundations to his designer and builder is who? Is God. It wasn't in the kingdom that Abram had built, the security that Abram had built that his focus was. It was on the city that God had built for you and I. And friends, the security of my future with God emboldens me to step out in faith obediently for God today. Amen? That you can take my life because I know where I'm going. To live is Christ, Paul said, right? And to die is what? Gain. Focus on what you're gaining, not what you're losing. Focus on living missionally, not comfortably, because our hope, the focus of my hope, is set eternally to the place that no one and nothing can take away from me. 
Abraham's focus and his hope was not set on earth, but on eternity. And that gave him the freeing reality to obey God faithfully wherever God called, whenever God called. Part of him living in a tent was he could pick up and go, right? Or he could anchor and hang out for a while. And we all have seasons. We all have situations. Abraham realized the life-giving reality that our eternal cities, our eternal, our earthly cities, our earthly cars, our earthly jobs, our earthly homes are fleeting. But what we have from God in heaven is everlasting. Amen. So what are you spending your life for? He was willing to live on earth as a sojourning servant during the short time that we have to realize the reality of his eternal residency in the, ho- in the beautiful heavenly city of God where we will worship God for all of eternity. Our, etern- our earthly perspective must be eternal. Our earth- eternal perspective must drive and fuel our earthly purpose. When we change that, everything changes, amen? We don't rise and fall as much with who wins the election or what job I'm working at because I know where I'm going. I know what my primary mission is. I don't rise and fall as much with how much is or isn't in my bank account. I'm willing to give more away. I'm willing to invest in what really, really matters. I'm willing to give my time, my energy to go where God says go, to stay where God says stay, to do what God says do so that eternity can be filled with more and more and more people. Abraham was looking forward to eternity, which enabled, emboldened, and equipped and empowered him to live with more faith on earth. He was faithful in the present because his confidence was in his future with God. Where's your confidence today? In a world that is shaking all around us, the author of Hebrews gives us this beautiful reality. Hebrews 12, 28 says, therefore let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken and let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire, amen? Your life might be rattling, your heart might be grieving this morning, your, your world might be shaking, but the kingdom that God offers you is unshakable. It stands. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. If God is for you, who can be against you? Where's your heart today? What does looking forward mean? It means setting our affections on and finding our joy in God. When I've had a really bad day and I've had my fair share of them, put worship music on, get into God's word, text a friend, biblical community. Confess to God and others. Where's your joy? Where's it sourced in? If it's in heaven, nothing can shake it because no one can take it away from you. Rejoice always, Philippians 4 says. If you're struggling with this, I encourage you to read Philippians 4. All of it. Sourcing our peace and our hope in God that's what looking forward is, that God's presence is enough for me. My God's grace is sufficient for me. Go to Philippians 4. Paul's like, I've learned the secret of what it's like to be brought high and to be brought low. Jesus, that's the secret. He will never leave me and he will never forsake me. Amen. He will always strengthen me. And through Christ, I can do all things. I can pick up my family and my wife and I can go to a foreign country when I don't know where I'm going. I can stay I can move, I can invest, I can do things that are hard on earth because I know that God holds me. It equips us to endure earthly suffering for God because God is worthy of it all and others are worthy. We read 2 Corinthians 4, the perspective that Paul gives right there, right? 
well, I am this and I am that, I am this and I am that. But it can't hold a candle to the eternal glory of Jesus Christ that I will receive one day. That I value all earthly things through the lens of eternity with God and as a, on a mission for God. It doesn't downplay earthly problems, but it elevates God's promises. It doesn't dismiss earthly pain, but it clings to God's presence in the middle of the pain, knowing 2 Corinthians 1 is real. These are God's promises, right? He will comfort you in the middle of the pain, and then he will work in you and through you to comfort others who have the same pain. That's missional living and thinking, that there's always a purpose for my pain. And when I can't see it, I've got a brother or a sister to come around me, put an arm around me and go, cry on my shoulder, we will pray together. And I will believe for us as you struggle. Because we all do that. That's why biblical community is essential. Doesn't, what price wouldn't we pay to see others come into relationship with God for all of eternity? Looking forward means committing wholeheartedly to the word of God, the people of God, and the mission of God. It means loving all deeply, vertically and horizontally. All means all. People like you, people not like you. That we see them as a, through a lens that God created them in the image of God, that Jesus died for them and he wants to spend eternity for them. I don't care who you vote for. I'm gonna tell you about Jesus. I'm gonna love you the way that God loves me. I don't care where you live or what you look like or where you go to school or what you do. I will choose to love you anyway because God looks at me in my mess and he loves me anyway, amen? Loving deep, I will obey God faithfully and I will hold loosely, hold loosely to people and places and jobs. They were earthly tent dwellers, they held loosely. Because my identity is eternal, not earthly. It doesn't mean I don't mourn, I don't grieve. Grief is the price of love. We grieve what we lose on earth and that is natural, normal, and biblical. But we need to continue to live missionally. I hold loosely to my plans, my pursuits, my friends. Life is hard and it hurts, but the hope comes from eternity. So friends, where is the focus of your heart today? Where's the focus of your mind? Where's the focus of your life? Where's the focus of your decisions? Is it looking forward like this text explicitly says? Or is it looking back or looking down or around? Or is it looking inside you because you're living for yourself and building your kingdom rather than building God's? Abraham left his kingdom to build God's, will you? Will you? Jim Elliott, another one of my heroes, missionary murdered in the 1950s because he, he went with some others and a young family to the South to, be, to reach some people that have never heard of the name of Jesus. He says this quote that it's one of my all-time favorites. He is no fool who gives that which he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives that which he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. That's an eternal focus. It's not called being a super Christian. It's called being an obedient Christian. Finally, today, God is calling us to trust and obey. I love the story of the old hymn, Trust and Obey. Anybody familiar with that, that hymn? Yeah. The story goes like this. It was written by a songwriter who was a part of, uh, with Travel with D.L. Moody, who was a great evangelist. They were in Boston. It was 1886. There was a testimony meeting and, and D.L. Moody had spoken and, and God had worked. And one night a young man stood up and he rose in the testimony. He said, I'm not quite sure what's next for me, but this I know, I am going to trust and I'm going to obey. That's the life of Abraham, is it your life? They could, the, the music writer texted a pastor and based on that, that statement by that young man, they composed these words from one of the, line, from one of the verses in that hymn. 
when we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, what a glory he sheds on our way. While we do his good will, he abides with us still and with all who will trust and obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. That's an eternally focused life. Where is your heart? And where is your mind? Would you bow your heads with me right now? Amy's going to continue to play in this next few moments. We're just going to have a little time of reflection. Where in your life today is God calling you to trust and obey? It might be very specific. It might be general. It might be like to get in his word or have a conversation with a neighbor. Start a Bible study at your workplace. To reorient your finances, to be more missional with them. Or maybe it's very specific. Serve at Harvest Kids Camp. Get on a ministry team. Join a small group. Go on a mission trip. Something about a job or a relationship. Where is he speaking? Where is he calling you generally or specifically? And will you trust and will you obey? Or do you need to repent from not having an earthly mindset and not having an eternal one? Just spend some time with the Lord and respond to his call. And if you want to know more about a relationship with God personally, we'd love to pray with you about that and just say, God, I want you to be my savior. Repent of my sins and we would love to pray with you later. But just allow the Holy Spirit to speak to your life right now. Father God, we just come before you as as your servants, as your sons and as your daughters, just thankful, thankful that you sent Jesus to die on the cross for our sins, that we can have righteousness through him, through his sacrifice. And God, in these moments, I pray that we would take that step to put our faith in him as our savior. For some of us, you're calling us to a specific action today and Father, I just pray that you would speak and that we would listen. That we would trust you when we don't know the details, that we would trust you to follow you no matter the cost because you're worthy of it all. And we give you our all out of a heart of worship. And we give you our lives out of a heart of worship and our feet and our minds and our time to follow you so that we can, out of a heart of worship, see others come to know you as we testify about you, that you are the God who keeps your promises. You are the God who sent your son to die on the cross for our sins. You are the God that meets every single one of our needs into 
the mess of our earthly world. You come with your mercy into our grief. You lavish your grace into our sins. You sent a savior. God, you are worthy of it all. And the same God who is the God of Abraham is the God of every single person in this room today. You created us in your image. You died for us on the cross, Jesus, and you desire for us to live in a restored, renewed, unbroken relationship with you today. Forsaking all others, Jesus, we follow you. In a life of faith and a journey that will look forward ultimately to what we have for you in eternity, holding loosely to what you have blessed us to steward on earth. Give us the strength to take steps of faith. And God, today, we just want to say we love you, we trust you, and we commit our lives to obey you. Jesus, In your mighty name we pray, amen.